0: You are listening to the Signal-to-Noise Podcast on the pro sound Web Podcast Network. Signal-to-Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones, as well as the A131 and A133 Large Diaphragm Studio Condenser Microphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath asked us to read this. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? No. Because the tree was using one of those mics with an on and off switch on it. And those are always off just when you need to hear them the most. Welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. A little different today. We're recording in the morning, usually recording in the evening. So I'm like pretty relaxed right now. Kind of laying back. We're going to have a nice, relaxed episode today. Um, Chris and Kyle, uh, I've traded them in for uh, previous Signal and Noise guest and my guest co-host for this episode is Freya Lawson. Hello. Freya. Hello. Welcome back to the show. So great to have you.
1: Thank you for having me again.
0: It's fantastic. And uh, also joining on this, Freya, I'm going to let you introduce our guest in just a second. Actually, you know what? Before we get to that, some really exciting housekeeping stuff. That I just want to throw out there. We are approaching our 100th episode. We recently surpassed 150,000 downloads. We're pretty excited about that. We are going to have a really cool um, 100th episode. We have a lot of plans going on. We have some really great giveaways from Audix and from Alan and Heath, so we want to make sure everyone goes to SignalNoisePodcast.com and sign up for the giveaway. You can uh, win an Audix mic bundle, which i really think is really cool they've got a lot of their cool mics together in a bundle with the a150 headphones that we use here on the show great headphones that's a cool prize you can win an Allen and heath sq5 mixing console they're giving one of those away you can win a copy of ethan weiner's book the audio expert you can win a t-shirt and autograph cd from mike green who does our theme song so we have a lot of cool stuff going on don't hesitate to go to signalize podcast.com register for the giveaway um Very exciting. More on that in the upcoming weeks. Um, Today on the show, we are going to kind of get into our mentorship thing. We're going to learn some stuff. We're going to throw some questions out. Um, Joining us on the show, first of all, David Williams and Hannah Goodine, uh, both good friends of mine, both uh, really, really great audio engineers, and both uh, get roped into mixing monitors on occasion and we're all here today to learn from our guest of honour. Freya, will you do the honours introduce our guest?
1: Yes. Um, so I would like to introduce one of the nicest dudes in the industry with possibly the best beard. Um, Monitor engineer for Julie for Mr. Alex Saruti. Hey,
2: How well, you doing? Woo! Thank you, Freya. You're too You're kind.
0: <laughs> I'm really excited to just bask in the accents on this episode. It's really, <laughs> it's wonderful. And wonderful beard as well. Uh, it's going to be great all around. So, Alex, uh I mean we, you know, generally like to start with the kind of how'd you end up where you are? You know, what what road led you to what you're doing now?
2: Uh like pretty quickly, um, a lack of knowing what I wanted to do, <laughs> fundamentally. Um I've always loved music and when I was a, like teenager, I was a I played trumpet and I played bass guitar. You know, did the college thing. Um Did some kind of performance techie course, started recording mates' bands and all that kind of thing. And I basically walked into a shop that I thought sold music gear um, called the PA Shop. And they talked, I spoke to the guy who owned it for a couple of hours and he was like, Can you help me on a Saturday night and load my van with some PA stuff? And I was like, Yeah, sure, whatever. Um, And basically never looked back. And then kind of did that in my hometown of Hull in Yorkshire for kind of three or four years, met my now wife and she was like, we need to get out of this place. Um, (laughs) And basically we kind of like, we chose, we were looking at Manchester, which has got a great music scene and London. She decided to move to, she wanted to move to London for her, what she wanted to do for her job. So I kind of was like, cool. Um, I'm a massive Pink Floyd fan. And have been since i was you know tiny my parents used to play and um so basically i really wanted to work for brit row britannia row productions because they were formed out of pink floyd's pa and i basically rang the poor poor lady who looks after crewing at brit row every monday morning for about six months until she got bored of me and got me in the warehouse for a week and i basically never left um and yeah just worked in the warehouse like Freya will is well aware of what you do oh, in yeah. any you know especially bit right because they've got wooden cases so one of the things you did as essentially as an apprentice or like kind of you know warehouse is sand these wooden cases down and then repaint them um and did that for a while they were kind of they now own like run an audio school but at the time they were kind of thinking about how they wanted to do it how they wanted to get crew and so I, they gave me a year contract, like full-time contract and basically kind of a little bit of teaching, you know, kind of go out and do gigs. And yeah, it just kind of went from there basically. And then, you know, pick up work, decide to do this and that.
0: I love the sheer belligerence approach. Like I'm going to keep bothering you until you give me what I want. Like don't underestimate the power of that people. I mean, that's, I got, I got my gig with ProSign with the same way. I would send Keith Clark, editor-in-chief, Every month I'd be like, hey, here's all the mistakes I found in your magazine this month. <laughs> and then he finally relented and was like, you want to be our technical editor then? And I was like, yes. So just, you know, I, I think that's a good place to start because there's this whole idea of, well, I reached out to somebody because I wanted to learn from them and I never heard back. Like probably what didn't happen is that person was like, I don't want to talk to this person. It probably went into a spam folder or it was sitting in the inbox and was forgotten about. Um, like that's okay to reach back out and just say, hey, I'm just following up on this. And I'm still interested to talk, you know? So I I think, uh, I mean, Alex, you reached out. So actually, when I was in high school, I had this friend named Joel. And he, uh, we thought he was a big nerd because he had seen every episode of The X-Files, every single episode. And I was like, what complete dedication. And you must have absolutely nothing better to do with your time. But Alex just confessed to me, that he has listened to every single episode of signal the noise. And I don't even know if I've listened to every single (laughs) episode of signal the noise. So, um, you know, we know that's a big thing on the show is, is reach out, ask questions, connect with people. And I, I, you know, I've made a wonderful bunch of connections and friends through the show. So anyone's listening who's interested in getting involved in teaching some people or learning some stuff, reach out, say, Hey, you know, uh, so so here we are. And let's let's jump into some of the monitor mixing stuff. And I was thinking about this. I was like, all right, I want to ask Alex some stuff about mixing monitors. And I realized it I couldn't it, it, there wasn't one pressing thing in my mind that I was like, I really struggle with this one am mixing monitors as much as I just don't like mixing monitors. I am never comfortable with it. And so maybe that I'll start there um, because I'm able to do it and I, you know, I get decent enough results that people call me back so it's not a it's not a dumpster fire but I've just never been comfortable doing it and I'm far more comfortable mixing front house or tuning a PA or something like that so is that an element that you're familiar with I mean is there to kind of settle into it
2: kind of um so I, I started off as a system tech as a VDOS tech for years um and yeah right um and basically I like i've always liked audio it's that's the bit that i enjoy and i worked as the crew boss and system tech in the roundhouse which is a kind of free ish thousand cap venue in london for like two or three years and essentially the job was be the system tech and uh, as the crew boss you kind of whoever was around at the time and would fill those roles. So sometimes you were actually the monitor person. Sometimes you're the front of house tech. Sometimes you'd be the patch person. And I just ended up being the patch person a lot with excellent monitor engineers. Like, you know, um, I had like a guy called D Miller was the monitor engineer in the roundhouse for a long time when I was crew boss, who is Robert plants monitor engineer, did the Led Zeppelin reunion, you know, that kind of caliber of person. And they taught me loads. Um, and I found it was a, I really enjoyed doing it that side of it, but most importantly, I noticed that everybody wanted to be a front of house engineer and you could count the number of like monitor engineers on one hand. Um, and I also noticed that they weren't looking for work, you know, the, all the people who were like, I'm a monitor engineer always got hired and I kind of, I can notice that quite early on and also wasn't that keen on being a front of house engineer to be fair i liked to be an assistant tech but i had very little tolerance for the kind of a and r guy management friends etc giving their opinion on something that really they weren't qualified to give an opinion on but you still had to listen to them so i kind of always avoided front of house um and i enjoy being on stage i like that side as in like they're kind of watching the like, you know, hearing house lights go and watching the audience and watching the reaction from the band. And it's, it's, yeah, I like it. It's good.
0: I'm wondering if, you know, why you don't hear more people saying, I want to be a monitor engineer, um, just traditionally. I mean, obviously front of house is the glamour seat, right? We all know that. But I, I, do you think there's a visibility factor to that? Because a lot of people don't understand that that's a job that there is somebody backstage who you don't see from the audience who's, that's their whole job. And a lot of people don't even realize that's a thing, you know?
2: Yeah, I totally agree. Whenever I speak to people about like working in audio, kind of the big thing is like, you don't know what you want. You've, you've decided you really like sound and doing stuff to it and like manipulation. You don't actually, you're not aware that you could be, you could really decide you like RF. Or being a system tech. Um, and I tell you what, if you want to get work, be a system tech. Because <laughs> for the same reason nobody's a monitor engineer, nobody's a system tech. And mm-hmm. I can tell all the PA companies I've ever worked for or with will bite your hand off to give you system. To, if, especially if you can fling boxes up in arenas. like Hands down, you'll get all the work you can want. But yeah, it's people just don't know it exists. And neither did I when I was you know, 18, 19. I wasn't aware that... People did this for a living. I just put something happened.
0: I want to hear from David and Hannah on this because you guys both mix monitors, and like Hannah, you've told me that you like it, you prefer it, just for the house, yeah, yeah. And David just ends up getting generally roped into it because I need a monitor engineer for a show that I'm working on, and I trust him, so he has the unfortunate pleasure of having to do it. So uh, I want to know about each of you what's your journey been, kind of getting comfortable doing that
3: well before that like back to the conversation about how people don't know what like that they can be a monitor engineer they can be a system tech like i have that conversation a lot because i'm you know in college for this so all around me people are just trying to figure out what's right for them and we all go into the program thinking that we want to do front of house but we all come out i mean there's a graduating class of eight of us from like just the live sound program this year. And one of them wants to be a front of house engineer now. So just like being exposed to all of the different parts of the industry is like a really important part and trying to figure out what you're going to do. I think. So, yeah,
0: yeah, that's but, cool. Yeah. So, I mean, David, how did you get, what was your first foray into monitors?
4: Well, I, I think the first thing you get a chance to do is usually going to be to mix front of house, but it's usually going to be at a bar or a club or a really tiny place. And the second thing you get to do, the first thing you get to do at a big stage, isn't going to be front of house. It's probably going to be monitors. Um, so I, I was, I went into it the same way, thinking you know, I was going to want to be a front of house engineer. And um, the first couple shows that I got to step behind a console, it definitely wasn't up front of house and, you know, to be fair with very good reason. Um, but I found over time that I liked having that direct one-on-one relationship to the artist where I have exactly one person to satisfy at the end of that mix. I don't have a thousand people or 10,000 people to satisfy. And I just, I thought I got more actionable advice and better direction and a better target for how well I was doing. So I just took it better.
0: I I think about we did that show. Uh, well, it wasn't last year because no one did any shows last year. But uh, it was a couple of years ago now. And the, when the guitar, the lead guitar player came up during during line check, it was just screaming loud. And I kind of was like gripping the edges of my content, like someone's gonna have to turn it, tell him he's gonna turn it down. <laughs> I was like, David's gonna do it because it's not gonna be me. So I I for all the reasons I mean, like, I'm glad that I have you up there. You have such a great rapport with the artist because I will say, as and those kind of gigs where I'm I'm front of house, I'm system tech, I'm production manager, I have a lot of stuff to worry about. I don't have to worry about that whole aspect of it. You are interfacing with the artist and you're dealing with that and you know what comes down to, you know, I mean I I he ends up picking mics. I'm like, yeah, just put, you know, put a mic on it. I don't care. And he, <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, it, the, the the politics, the personal relationship is a very different dynamic for sure. Um, and I also want to touch on Hannah. You said to me, like, you're like, yeah, I'm really glad that, you know, Alex has been, you know, talking with me about this. And you're like, I didn't have any like specific questions, but he told me I was on the right track, all the stuff I was doing. I think there's a lot of value there, like just a sanity check about, hey, I'm not crazy. And because yeah, a lot of us came up and, you know, I was the only person in my high school interested in this. I was kind of just going for it. And so, like, I knew, I knew that, okay, you can put an EQ filter here. This thing's feeding back, it'll go away. Like, I didn't know what that was called. I didn't know there was a term for that or a process for that. I just knew that that was how I solved the problem. So I think getting the context of, yeah, other people dealing with these issues and, this is the term for that. That's a really valuable thing. And something that's really important to have in a mentor, when you have a mentor relationship, you know, is just to be able to get that sanity check over, hey, here's how I solve this problem. Is that, you know, is that a good way to do it? How would you solve that problem? So even if it's not like, hey, help me, I'm really I'm really stuck, uh, that sounding board idea where I can just kind of talk through things with you, I think is, is really important.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, Frey's I didn't been have... Nodding. I didn't have any like <laughs> specific questions for Alex when you you know sent me his email and were like reach out, um, but you know I explained my situation and I work at this tiny little venue with some wedges that don't sound the same and I just wanted some you know random tips and he did that and everything he said was stuff that you know I was doing or resonated really well, so yeah.
0: Fred.
1: I know you have comments. <laughs> um, all the comments. No, um,
0: <laughs>
1: I was just going to add to what Alex was saying a minute ago about the fact that even when you start out in this industry, people don't, or don't always realise that there are other roles. Um, and you were saying about the visibility aspect of front of house. That is literally it. When you are a kid and you go to shows, the only person that you see that you could relate to this job is this person in the middle of the room with another person in the middle of the room with two consoles that do something and you're like, Oh yeah, that looks like a fun job. And you don't realize everything else that there is a part of it. And then um, another thing I was going to j- just, just, uh, just say was when I started on my journey doing monitors, I went to Alex for advice because he's a good guy and he's a friend and we've worked I don't know if we've ever done a tour together, but we've done no,
2: we've festivals. Done stuff.
1: I think we've done cream Creamfields or something awful. Yes. <laughs> done cream um, but I went to him, and it was exactly as you're describing. Just making sure that you're like, "Am I? Am I on the right path of thinking that this is correct?" And he's like, "Yeah." You know, and then other other aspects that I'd sort of been taught um, through many different companies that I've worked in, through many different people, and there were some people with attitudes of oh well or the artist or you must not approach and it's like you can't do that as a monitor engineer you you have that is the relationship that you have to build with your artists and that was another thing that um Alex really helped me understand and and work on is that these people are there for you to work with and for and about and you have to establish a good relationship there Um, and they have to trust you as well and that's really important so yeah
0: Yeah, Alex, I'd like, I mean, you said you do uh, Lana Del Rey, you're kind of, you know, in and out, and she's kind of rotating through a bunch of texts for that position. That would seem to be a challenge for me to have the artist get a consistent experience when you have different texts in that seat from time to time. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah. Um, So there's a number of people who, like whenever, whoever's available, will kind of fill that space, and we kind of... They're all, I'll be honest, better than me. They're all like <laughs> really good monitor engineers. Um, and we've kind of built this show file for monitors over the last like eight odd years that, you know, like somebody will take this. they'll do a lot of festival shows, whatever, and they'll just kind of keep it tidy and and then pass it on to the next person who happens to be doing, you know, whatever's coming next. Um, so we've kind of got, we've, we've all done really well at not turning one single show file into, you know, a mess of stuff. Um, and it's kind of, there's like kind of two or three of us that have kind of done it in the last few years. So it's kind it it's relatively okay now because she knows us all and out of the three or four of us, one of us will be available um but yeah normally it's not advantageous to do this but in this case it does work reasonably well um and the band rehearse a lot i've never done anything with them that i haven't had like a week's rehearsal just to make sure everything's cool
0: i'm sure that helps a lot um yeah i I mean i think the idea about the artist knowing you like just looking over and seeing someone they know behind that console, that's huge. And, uh, you know, that you have a lot more leeway to kind of work with them and get what you need. When, when she didn't know you though, the first time, I mean, was that, uh, was that a little nerve wracking for you or how that feel?
2: It was the first time I worked for her was we, I did a radio one live lounge session, which is like, for those who don't know you basically an artist will go and do a song of theirs and a cover song and then it's a like a thing that the radio one in the uk do every every week sorry and basically i did it like a few days rehearsal with her band didn't see her Mo- uh, loaded into made Vale in london recording studio and she was in a vocal booth the band were in the main live room and i was kind of hidden away so basically i never met her or saw her for that one um and we talked over her, you know, like she talked to me over her mic and I spoke back and that was basically my interaction and it all went really well and it was fine. Mm. And then about two years later, you know, schedules worked out and I did a uh, kind of like three week festival run with her. And she was like, you're the guy that did that. And it was fine because I had, I had have basically it went well and she didn't, you always remember the good things. You, you know the last thing sorry so as long as you did the, something good at the last moment that you met somebody they'll remember that bit um so yeah it's a bit odd but it works
0: well yeah i mean it's, it's really unique but it's really interesting to me um when you're working on i don't know how often you do this but i know this is a reality for hannah and for david and myself somewhat i've got to walk up to a console with a bunch of artists i've never met So it's a one off, you know, and so we're going to do our thing and then we're going to go our separate ways and probably not not work with each other again. That that is a situation that that happens a lot around my area, the kind of work that I end up doing. Uh, How do you you have to sort of jumpstart that rapport, like jumpstart that working relationship where like, hey, um, you know, you can let me know what you need. Like, how do you how do you get this person comfortable opening up to you and and working with you when you don't have that time to establish a working relationship over a bunch of shows. That's something I'm interested in.
2: So I'll sit bands down, usually individually, um, unless I'm really tight for time, but you know, and you kind I try and lead the conversation. So you, I don't like going to go, what do you want in your mix? Because the, the answer is always well a bit of everything and it's not helpful um but that's what you get that's what musicians say so i just presume that they're going to want everything and i'm and i kind of try and give them confidence by telling them what i think they're going to want to hear if you see what i mean like you know vocalists are always going to want themselves a bit louder with x amount of reverb and you know so it's i always try and give them the confidence by sounding like i know what i'm doing by telling them what they're going to say to me. and asking what they don't want rather than what they do, because you can find by asking what you, they don't want, you can cut down the amount of time you're talking to them because they're only going to be like, "Yeah, I don't really like bass guitar," or "I don't like," you know, you don't end just listening to them telling you that they want kicks and air, hat, bass keys, you know, blah, blah blah.
0: I'm imagining someone who just hates. Bass guitar and all its forms, and just is very anti-bass. Like whatever you do, I don't want to hear any bass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's you know, it was it was funny to me. Uh, it was a while ago. Now we were out, and it was a tour that we had been doing mostly very small clubs, and then we did. It was, I think it was like Paramount Theater in Seattle. It was like a big. It was a big room, and all of a sudden the drummer was asking for stuff that he had not asked for, you know, everyone was asking for different things like, Oh, well the keyboard player is 35 feet away from the drummer now. So of course he wants hi hat in his, in his ear and he had not wanted it, you know, this. Whole. So, um, having that kind of spidey sense about, uh, and Dave rat said it really well. He's like, go stand by that player and hear what they're hearing and hear what they're not hearing, you know? And, and, and if you get over there and you go, gee, I can't hear the other guitar player from, cause he's on the other side of the stage. Okay. Well, you know, let's lose, use that. So. Um, I think it's like an, ed- like you said, it's like, a, it's a very educated guess based on the context uh, is what, what I've found to be helpful. And sometimes you might know before the artist does, you know, they might not know they, they know they're not comfortable maybe, but they don't know why they're not comfortable.
2: Yeah, quite. Um, and that's the other thing is like, you should always listen to the musicians, but you need to re you know, listen to what they're saying, not, not the words that they're saying, mm. because uh, people you know spend their lives learning to play an instrument and playing with bands um doesn't mean to say they're aware of what will make them a better player and a better performer so you know when somebody says oh i can't hear my voice is it they can't hear their voice or is it just the keyboards are really loud or you know so just paying attention to what people are saying um but you know actually listening rather than just giving lip service
0: uh, that's a great point. I mean, one of the vocalists I work with, she'll, she'll often say, Mikey, I can't, I can't hear myself. You can You turn me up and I'll look at her mix and her fader will be all the way like, like you've, you've crept up. How about this? I said, why don't you turn your pack up? I'm going to take everything else down a little bit. You know what I mean? So, cause it's what she's asking for and what she actually wants are not always the same thing. So, uh, that's, that's a really interesting point. Freya, I know you had a th- comment on that.
1: Oh, I was, I can say, actually, um, I, I think that's a really important approach um, as Alex saying to, to go and preempt, but then also ask for their input when you're designing their mix with artists as well, because it is really important that they realize that they can trust you with that. Mm. Um, it's, it's all about psychology as well, which is another thing that Alex taught me. Um, it's a lot about that. It's a lot about how, how you manage people's expectations and how you, deal with them as people as well because again that's a really important relationship and I was gonna say I have had it before actually we taking this approach and I, I was uh, I was probably like PA teching for something at uh, some big festival or something and hung the PA and I'm done for the day you know so then I'm gonna hang out stage and help with stage and um a band didn't have monitor engineer that day so they're like you know can someone do it? And I was like, Yeah, for sure, I'll do it. And I went up to the dressing room, and I was just like, Hey guys, so there's—I don't know any of you, and I'm really sorry, but I'm going to be running a monitors tonight, and this, that, and the other. And I went in with a little notepad and just kind of wrote down what they all wanted. And they were like, No one's ever done that for us before. <laughs> I was like, Why? <laughs> well, they just decided. So it's kind of yeah, it must be a really odd thing for a band to be like, We're going to play this epic show, oh my god, we're going, and they just get some stranger there, like not asking them what they want and just giving them what you think they want, which is kind of scary.
2: sorry i was just gonna say i worked for an artist over the summer 2019 just one off management rang me up can you just cover this gig and a she was really surprised i spoke to her beforehand but b she was like nobody and i spoke to her afterwards to kind of find out how she how it was and she was like nobody's ever come and no monitor engineer has ever come and spoken to me after the gig like what
3: that's shocking to me that's terrifying yeah
0: Well, you know, that's a really important point. And I, and I you know, I can share a story that uh, the the my friend in town here, I've been working with him for a long time. He owns a small production company and uh, it's, it's interesting because it's a small company. So the, he doesn't have a warehouse full of PA. He doesn't have 15 consoles in inventory, um, but he shows up and he's just generally competent and polite and his crew is just generally competent and polite. And people routinely say, you guys are the best company we've ever worked with. And it's it's kind of a sad indictment in our industry that being generally competent and polite puts you at the very top of the heap because that should be kind of the – that should be the expectation. It should uh, be normal. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, the the college theater that I mix at here, when when people come and, I, and when I get the writer on, I call them and I talk about the writer with them, and then they show up and they actually have the things that, that we discussed. And they're like, wow, you actually – Gave us what was on our writer. I'm like, yeah, dude, like that's what the writer is, right? <laughs> like,
1: so <laughs> that's so how this whole it, thing works. Yeah, <laughs>
0: it's it's always been. I would be mortified to have a band show up and I haven't looked at their writer yet. You know what I mean? Uh, that w- I would be very embarrassed uh, of that. So it, it, I think it often doesn't take an act of heroics to have a good show and to please the artist. Like just a little basic effort, uh, you know, calling the management are calling the engineer um it's interesting the venue that i work at a lot of times the artists aren't aren't they not traveling with their own engineers sometimes they are often they're not um and so what i've learned to do is ask the question am i mixing or, or are you bringing somebody uh that that helps for me, because if I'm mixing, I'm going to lay out my show file, you know, like I, I'm going to approach that very differently um, because w- I used to just not ask that question. And then I wouldn't even know until soundcheck was ready to start, like, oh, am I doing this or is there someone coming to do this? So um, that th- that phone call. And I will also say I may be old fashioned. I prefer the phone call over the email. I want to hear a human voice on the phone. Uh, I want to them to hear my voice. So like we've established within a couple seconds that we're, you know, we're both reasonable people and uh the it seems to go pretty well but yeah i mean just reaching out to the management to the artist to whoever it is talking about the requirements before and 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 checking in after i mean that stuff is is so simple and and so so helpful so that's a that's a great tip for sure
1: one thing i was gonna add as well actually is i've also been guilty of doing that too much as in Sometimes I And you're like, Leave us alone, stop talking to me. We see you every day, go away. No, like there's a there's a there's quite a fine line between making sure everything's okay and then almost giving your artist too much choice to be like, mm. Oh well I hated this or I want them to be able to come to me and be like, I don't like this and I like this. Fine. But I it, like when it just goes in and so, say, Oh, maybe I could have like this here and this there, and it's like do you want that or have I I just given you permission to ask for something that you think you need? Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't, that sounded a bit wrong, didn't it? I do not need to give anyone permission to do anything, but you know what I mean? Like, um, (laughs) opening up that, that extra part of, um, Oh, actually I could really mess around with this. Whereas if it works and you're happy and you're comfortable, that's all we need.
0: Well, to me, it's also, that's really artist dependent because even within one band I have, I have a person who will not, uh, if he wants it changed, he'll ask for it. And he if he doesn't say anything, I don't touch it, right? And I have someone else who um won't know what's happening or why they're not comfortable. And I'll just tell by their singing or their playing that something's not quite right. And so I'll just go in and work on it. And then at the end of the song, they'll go, Oh, yeah, Mikey, you know, that was a lot better. And and they won't ask necessarily. So I have to kind of feel that out with every artist. Like, do you want me to be proactive and you know working on your mix if you're on or do you want me to not touch it until you specifically ask for something or kind of where's the middle ground there that's something that um takes a little time a little familiarity but that that seems to help things a bit as well
3: yeah
1: definitely it's um yeah you're right you can you sort of if you're establishing a good relationship with um the people that you're running monitors for you kind of get to know what they want when they want it and you can read them and it's so quite magical in a weird way.
2: <laughs>
1: you're like I know what he's going to ask for so I'm going to do it and he goes, "Oh yeah." And you're like, "Yeah, I did it."
2: <laughs> I do think there's a certain amount as a monitor engineer that you should be trying to get the best performance out of your artist. Um and if that like you say it's like you've got to work out if that person wants you to touch up or or don't. Um equally speaking if the drummer's playing out of time you should do something to bring them back into time um because it you know it should it it's not just about their ego or your ego it's about making them good um because it's like you know conversations you have in front of house engineers it's like i can't just turn my vocalist vocal up in their ears just because they want it like it that interaction reflects on the front of house engineers ability to get a good level before get feedback. Um, So you've got to, I think you've got to like push musicians into being the best they can be, um, which, you know, sometimes is easier than others, but like you say, you've got to work out quite how you can go approach them with that particular person.
0: And and a lot of that is, is is very technical. Uh, You know, convincing the band to go from, I know, uh, uh, Willis Snow, she's been on our show a bunch of times You know, going from a a mono in ear mix to a stereo in ear mix um, gives you so much more latitude. We've talked about this with her and the artists that she's with. All of a sudden, it's not just everything stacked up in the middle of your forehead, and you have room and space, and you can actually hear other band members. And that makes people play better. Uh, One thing that I, one one musician that I work with, he really likes a ton of his own guitar. Like, he's probably 18 dB above everything else in his ears. and if you try to balance that out to a more, you know, balanced mix, he'll be like, you know, I, you know, he can't hear the the lower end of the dynamics and it's playing, or, you know, he's not comfortable. He wants to be there. And it's been a struggle to kind of lessen that so he can hear the other guitar players. And when he can hear the other guitar players, they they mesh better and they're more in time and they're more in tune together and the show is better. So kind of, you know, it's almost a, a subconscious thing, but kind of just weaning him into hearing more of the band and that doesn't that doesn't mean that has to compete in level but okay well if i get a little more aggressive with the panning and i could put the other guitar in another place in the mix there it's not he can still hear everything he wants from himself but let me just give you some more of that context let me find a way to get some keyboards in there being able to you know and you know this example happens all the time he grew up in the age of really loud stage wedges and so that was your thing is your own input super loud right in in your forehead right but transitioning to in-ears being able to give him that context of what the rest of the band is doing, the the playing has improved tremendously, and the balance. And um, I don't know – I no longer have the issue where he steps on the pedal and it's, you know, 7 dB too much gain when he takes a solo. Like, it, things are fitting better in the mix, and we do have a lot of conversations still about, gee, when you went to that solo, you know, you could have come up with another 2 dB there or whatever. But but now we're talking 2 dB changes and not not 9 dB changes. Yeah. So giving him that context, even when that's not what he was asking for, has has really improved things. So yeah, that's I definitely agree with that statement.
2: I'm going to be controversial here.
0: Yeah, do it, man.
2: Click tracks, right? Uh-huh. Like Obviously, I don't do this all the time because it's not appropriate all the time. But I'm of the opinion, in a perfect world, that only the drummer should have the click track, and they should only be able to hear the click on the offbeat when they're not playing the snare. Because if they're playing in time, the snare will cover up the click and you'll know you're in time. I mean, obviously, as I say, this is in a perfect world, but I just bands that go too far towards just playing to the click just sound like four or five independent players playing apparently the same song. And it doesn't you don't get that like great band dynamic. So if the drummer's the only person that's got the click, everybody has to play to the drummer. And then you get a really good um like band dynamic and the meshing and it it works really well as i say doesn't this this technique does not go down well with a lot of people but (laughs) um i've definitely had conversations about it with you know but um yeah i i just think a a great band playing together should play as a
0: band
1: that's that's about pushing them to be the best artists they can be and play the best as well though isn't it so that would that's interesting
0: well, I, you know, what I like about that is it's, it's, it's well beyond, you think of a monitor engineer, you might, someone might think of like uh, this person who just pushes faders up and down and like you, you're being an active participant in the sound of the group and having those conversations and how to, how to better their performance. Not unlike what a, what a front of house engineer might do with a band. You know, I mean, we, my band, we sit down and we we listen to the board tapes together and I'll talk with the musicians about the tone and the placement and, if this isn't working, is this something I should do with the console? Is this something you should do with your guitar? Does it, you guys, you two guys just need to practice this one line and how it's sitting or, you know, hey, why don't you try using a different pickup position for this, you know, looking at holistically and what's my role in that? And that's a really interesting conversation. And again, it's very, very different from artist to artist. And I certainly wouldn't try it on a one-off, but I'm laughing because I remember this gig that, that David and I did and the drummer had... What he was used to doing is one in ear on one side, I believe, and the other he had a headphone plugged into a metronome on his left ear. And David was like, you know, I can put your click through through the console for you and and give you a stereo mix with a click in it. He was like, Really? That's amazing. <laughs> this guy was just so happy. Oh about that. my gosh. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, I was laughing about that for a while. So, you know, oh. that that's that's another aspect, too, is when you have artists who aren't used to having a dedicated monitor engineer because they're smaller upcoming acts, even playing smaller venues, that could be an adjustment. Uh, Dave and I, did, we actually met doing a festival where that was the case, where a lot of the acts were local or, or smaller regional groups and didn't understand, you know, they kept telling us about how they wanted to sound out front. And we're like, well, you know, that. Th- Okay, but you know, just so you know the, you know I don't remember the guy I think Steve, whatever the guy's name was was this what was the guy's name David his name is Steve, yes, yeah, Steve, okay, so Steve's out in front of house, he's mixing you out front, and we're over here on monitors, and we're gonna mix what, what you hear here. so you know we had to more than once kind of just establish that paradigm with with the artists on stage and and uh that can be a bit of an adjustment as well.
4: Yes, yeah, to see a look of amazement when someone realizes, "Oh, there's a
0: second person mixing." Oh, that's wild. It was. It was funny though. There it was, was consistent band, too. Yeah, it was. <laughs> but there was one band that they were they were a touring act, and so they knew what was going on. And they came in and they came up and they said exactly what they wanted. And they had two sets. On the second day, they came up and said, are "You the guys that were mixing our monitors yesterday?" I'm like, "Yep." Do the same thing. Okay, great. You know, and that that's a nice moment. I like that when you're like, "Yeah, Yo, okay, we we you know." You, you, you had, you like went away and you thought about it and you came back and you were like, yeah, I'm happy with that. Just, just do it again. That, that's fun. So there's almost, I hate to use the word training, but there's really, uh, an element here of kind of establishing, setting that tone of how this whole thing works and, and kind of, you know, l- leading the artist through this to get them comfortable and to, you know, uh, I mean, it, again, you know, my local band that I mixed when they went to ears it was like if they at first it was like oh I'm too loud in my ears I'm going to turn my guitar down I'm like no 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 don't turn your guitar down you're turning it down for everybody like just tell me I can turn it down for you so you know all of a sudden when you have six mixes plus front of house you know to kind of get them on the same page in terms of when you should turn your own instrument down versus when you should ask me to change your mix uh, was the thing that I had to literally train them on and work with them and and, um, you know our guitar player she would she would just pull her volume pedal back if she felt like she was too loud on her own mix and then everyone else would go i can't hear her anymore it's like so we we just had to uh work on establishing that and and get them used to the idea that everyone had their own mix and you weren't going to be messing up anybody else if you just asked me to change your mix you could do that and it was independent so um that's always been an interesting thing to kind of work through people with and and uh that can be a rough adjustment process, particularly when you have an artist who's not used to in monitors, for example, or an artist with hearing loss, you know um, I do enjoy those aspects of it though, because I like, I like getting them comfortable. I like creating an environment for them where they can go out and perform and they're coming home and their ears aren't ringing and you know, they're, they're, they're not tired from it. Like it's very, that's a rewarding aspect of it. I definitely, I definitely see that perspective. Freya.
1: <laughs> oh, oh! no, I was going to say, um, <laughs> one of the bands I work with, um, when they kind of get, get like getting a band together around just an artist who's normally just sort of on his own doing tracks and percussion with a vocalist, and then we got a band sort of together to, to take the show out, and it's amazing and wonderful. And it was quite an interesting experience because we you know we did three and a half weeks I think of rehearsal before we went on the road for about three and a half weeks and we got sent home because you know COVID um but in that rehearsal process we built up to everybody having their own talkback mic and everyone thinks we are insane to do this because we have like five on stage but it's so good because once some of them had got over the fact that it was totally okay to shout at me for what they want fine But the worst thing was I was like, I could see some people like really uncomfortable about using it and really uncomfortable about communicating. I'm like, it's fine. I don't care. No one else can hear you. That's the other thing as well is like when you're doing that kind of thing and they're like trying to establish a communication, like through a talkback or something like that, being able to reassure them that if they just shout down it, nobody else will hear them unless we're in a space where we need to so unless we're in rehearsals and they can say whatever they want and I can say whatever I want back and I have established some insane setup now whereby we can talk to you know it's like a switchboard I feel like the old lady you know in those like old timey (laughs) (laughs) -timey switchboards um but no it's great and yeah once they kind of had that confidence they'd be like oh yeah I I totally need this instead of because bless her one of the guitarists was standing there with her hand up for ages I was like
0: do you You'd put their, do you put their shout mics back in their ears? Can they hear themselves? Yes. So, okay. One, one trick that I, I don't remember who said it and I wish I did because it's a great trick. Pan that hard to one side. So they, mm. they are very clear on the fact that it's an auxiliary thing and it's not sounding like their regular vocal sound and it's not, you know, everyone's not going to be getting that in the house. Um, that was, that was, Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Um, (laughs) Alex. How much double patching do you do? Because that was kind of one of the things that really helped me get my monitor game together. Was you know not trying to find compromise EQs anymore, just double patch that input and give this person whatever they want.
2: So I'm in the luxurious position that I generally mix a band that I have rehearsals for, and I have my own desk, and I only mix ears. I haven't mixed wedges in about eight years nine years maybe bless Um, you yeah right my ears are so thankful for it um and my back actually for that matter um so i don't do a lot of it now um with very few exceptions in the sense of if i've got if i feel like i've got to do something drastic then yes i will uh when i was mixing wedges all the time like Anything that I felt was key to a lot of people but needed, you know, like if you're mixing a band where the like a piano is the main thing but you, and it's a, like an actual piano with microphones on it, I'm always going to double patch it because I'm going to end up eking the living hell out of it to get it really loud in a pair of wedges. But it still needs to sound nice to everybody else. So you've got to, you know, make those compromises. Um, and the same for like compression and stuff. If I've got a, shall we say, a not particularly good player that's dynamic range is maybe not that good and they're all over the place, then I, for the sake of everybody else, will compress it more than I would to taste or for any other reason, just to keep, keep it in some kind of sensible ballpark. But obviously they can't hear that because it could make it worse. I mean, it might make it better. You never know, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I try and let musicians, you know, as far as dynamic range goes, make their own mistakes as it were. Um, yeah. but yeah, it, it, and you know, with some consoles you don't need to anymore because, you know, Digico's quantum stuff, you yeah, can just, stuff, yeah, yeah, the nodal stuff's brilliant. You can just EQ and compress to taste to whoever's mix. Um, but, yeah uh
0: one thing for me that i kind of my my big thing about when i'm going to double patch i try not to have a vocalist singing through a bunch of compression back into their own ears Mm. um but so you know my man i have i have five vocal mics on stage and everybody sings so um everybody else wants that person kind of post-compression and make it sound nice and make it so it's not going all over the place in dynamic range wise. And it's got to kind of sit for them, but their own mic, I, I want them to get exactly what they're actually doing. So it has very minimal EQ and it has virtually no compression on it because uh, they start getting tired if they're just kind of pushing into that compression all night. So um, that's my one thing is if you're listening to your own vocal, I'm going to treat that very, very different than, how that's treated going to everybody else's ears. Typically. It's funny. The drummer wants everybody unprocessed, Um, but that's kind of a thing that we learned about. He's more comfortable that way, but most of them say, well, I don't want when, when she takes off on her lead line, she really gets going. I don't, that kind of, I don't want that in my ears. It's too much. So, um, I will double patch all my vocals, even if I'm just mixing monitors, which, uh, um, I mean, is that, is that a crazy approach? <laughs> no, not at all.
2: What I was, I was going to add was one thing I do double patch all the time is I'll make a, uh, a second vocal channel to send to reverbs and right. I'll compress that channel like you would a front of house or, you know, studio style so that the reverb coming back do- is consistent. Um, and it's not necessary 100% of the time, but I, what I do find is like it'll put people up if they're kind of like they get to a moment and then it's quiet and they'll make a loud noise and obviously it gets really reverberant and then it freaks them out because all of a sudden it's really reverberant and they're like, can you turn the reverb down? And it's like, no, you've just got louder. But <laughs> instead of having to have that conversation repeatedly, I've just found it's easier just to do that side of it because they know their voice has got loud. Right, but right. the bit that scares them is the sudden reverb. Um, I I haven't worked for anybody in a while where, like you say, you've got multiple vocalists that are. I don't want to say important. That's not what I mean. But you know, like not prominent. Like loads of bands will have, like four BVs or something, but right. uh, like I see BVs as like an instrument they all have to be an instrument as one. So they all get on, you know, the same vocal that the person singing gets so that they know where their dynamics are as an instrument. Um, and then I'll compress it as a group and send it to the, the artist as it were. But yeah, the reverb thing I've noticed freaks people out. So find a way to get rid of it.
0: It, You know, that's another interesting thing for me too, because finding out uh, what people are comfortable with, like, like, this idea with in-ears is you've removed all this, you know, all, all of their usual ambient environment and and we mic things close in live sound because we want a solution. So, so, you know, what the vocal sounds like an inch from their mouth is not natural. You know, we don't go around and talking, hopefully, right, into each other's ears like that. So you got to do something to it just to kind of put it back in a more sort of psychologically normal environment. Um, and. I've had friends move to in ears and you know local bands and stuff like that, and and they typically don't have the the privilege of an engineer with them, right? They're just sort of sorting out whatever they're doing on their own, and that is typically why when someone says well, we just weren't comfortable with it, that's why because you were getting all these close mic signals just crammed into your ear canal, like um, using a I used a like a just a, a lousy short room. Um, just to put some natural space back into the ears, and I do have a longer hall that that obviously I'm using out front, and I do have one vocalist who she wants she wants to sound like she's in the you know the Batcave <laughs> or or St. Peter's Basilica or something. It's crazy. Um, it's it's you know it's it's four and a half seconds, and she's super happy with that. But for the most part, um, just a little bit of room just to kind of pull things back a couple inches uh, has been a, a huge, huge, huge thing for particularly acts that aren't quite used to the in your environment yet and and maybe don't understand why they're not as comfortable you know
2: yeah reverb like i use all the reverbs all of the time
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's
2: not like it's not like i stick a five second you know reverb in someone's vocal but like every instrument i'll give a reverb to and it'll be like one second no you know and i'll play with the pre-delay depending on where i want it to sit you know, because like you say, a guitar ramp is usually eight foot behind you, and a guitar in your ears does not sound like that. So you've got to give it some space so it doesn't like give it room. um A trick that I nicked off a mate of mine years ago who was mixing a lot of dance acts where it was all like computer instruments was inserting reverbs over people's ears. Like a one second reverb, no pre delay. Um, and then dropping the kind of wet mix down to like somewhere between like 5 and 10 percent so that everything was in a room everything had a little bit of space to it and for all when it was like loads of track and loads of keyboards everything that was really dry and really in your face it all of a sudden just just gave it that little bit more natural sound um and for those people who were like I hate this thing it works <laughs> a treat you just and you don't need to be you know, doing too much work because you've all of a sudden just given it a room. Um, and then you can play with the wet-dry balance depending on how reverberant the, the space you're in is. Yeah, definitely stole that one and it works a treat.
0: I'm going to be controversial now. I have a strong distaste for pre-delay. Um, I usually turn it all the way down. It's just it's something about it. I, I never feel like it helps. I know there's a, a lot of people that say, yeah, you know, it's kind of gives me more separation i've I've never had that experience i typically you know i I don't think you know you're talking about 50 milliseconds 60 milliseconds of pre-delay that's a pretty sizable space that you're in and usually when you're playing drums in a space like that or whatever that's not a happy thing you know we don't like that that slapping (laughs) coming back i i typically turn that all the way down and it just to me i have gotten better results of that so maybe i'm i'm an odd man out on that but I'll, i'll just i'll throw my hat in the ring on the I like very minimal pre-delay on my reverbs. There you have it.
2: No, I'm totally with you. I start all at right. zero. With basically the only time I play with it is it's usually backing vocalists trying to get say you've got four backing vocalists trying to get their voice um to stand out a little bit when they all want all of four of them at the same level almost. Um But yeah, I'm totally with you. It just sounds a bit weird because you don't want it. You don't want to. You never hear that first reflection, um, so far away. You always hear a little bit of the floor, you know, going, you know, going away from you. You never hear the wall at the back first, so it just sounds a bit unnatural to me. Um,
0: Yeah, and when you you know when you go into a venue that sounds like that for real world, like ah gee, that back wall sucks today. You know, like that's that's not that we're always talking about how problematic that is, and and so I don't see any reason why I would want to intentionally recreate that but yeah i mean it, it's you know uh it, it, i had a similar conversation with ryan john about uh early reflections in my reverbs i turn them way down uh, and he's like yeah I eq them separately I, I i the diffuse field to me is very useful a couple of early reflections is something that you have to be very careful with i think especially when you have a lot of elements and like you said a lot of different reverbs in 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 your mix um I know that was something, and this, is, this might be an interesting thing, because I know there are, there are a lot of people, and when I you know started having to mix for, for multiple in your monitors, the console I was at the time was very limited on effect slots. So I couldn't do a drum reverb and a guitar reverb and a keyboard reverb and vocal reverb and then a background. Vocal. I couldn't burn six slots on reverbs. So that requires a lot of careful thoughts about how are we going to do this. And then if this person says, I want more reverb in my ears, well, I have to bring up all the reverb with five vocals in it and not just hers. So um, that is kind of where I ran up against a wall for a long time. And I ended up doing like an instrument verb and a vocal verb hmm. and just carefully band limiting them. Like there's probably nothing under 350 hertz in my v- in my reverb returns, um, just get all that, that gunk out of here. Yeah. Alex yeah. is making a face. Yeah. Get that gunk out of there. <laughs> um, that that allowed me to be able to be more flexible with it and have kind of a wider margin of error um, is kind of band limiting that stuff and, and getting all the early reflections out of there. But, I mean, do you have any, any words of wisdom for when you're kind of up against the wall in terms of your reverb counts and stuff like that? Uh,
2: you, no, basically the same. So that's <laughs> the, the, the Abbey Road trick that you're talking about of like high passing to like three to 600 Hertz and then low passing down to like 8k does wonders for reverbs because nobody wants to hear that low mid horribleness coming back. I mean, you're digging up, you know, you try and get rid of it for most people anyway. But equally speaking, you don't want any of that really high stuff in reverbs, not in, certainly not in ears because it just distracts. It's too, takes your mind away too much. But yeah, being just really careful about what you want to put in it you know yeah. um, and that
0: high so that top octave um to me that's where the a lot of reverb start to sound not so realistic too mm. is that that top uh, and it's getting better but i'm very very careful about um sort of like when you're mixing in front of house i'm very careful about what's in my what's in my sub range uh I've, i keep a tight control over the energy that's allowed to get to my subs and, it, and that cleans your whole mix up i'm i'm the same way about my top octave within years um because five distorted guitars, right, keyboards playing organs and synth sounds, there's like can be a lot of energy at 10k, and that could be a profoundly unpleasant experience when it's in somebody's ear canal. So I'm very, very, I, I, uh, I loved the Midas Pro series because you have you could high pass, low pass right on the on the st- channel strip every desk just just I band limit aggressively, and then you know your one money channel. I'll let, I'll let her go up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then she's has that presence. Um, it does wonders for cymbal bleed because people aren't singing it at 12 K, you know? So, yeah. um, that the band limiting idea has been hugely helpful to me.
2: Yeah. Like, um, low pass filters was a revelation. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. You're just like, this is amazing. And it, it kind of, like, I totally agree because I mean, you look at like the frequency range of guitar, um, is in use it's like it doesn't really go above 8k so anything that's above 8k is really just stuff coming down the microphone that is not useful to you so why keep it this you know um it's also really good like on vocals when you've got thrusts in front of pas and stuff like that get rid of it because or you're just adding top end stuff that makes like blurs um vocals and everything else in your mix like yeah um, I can't remember the band's name now. It really annoys me. But I remember watching um, uh, somebody at Hyde Park this uh, mixing on a XL4 analog console with high and low pass filters. And I like, standing there and it's like, this sounds absolutely amazing. Like totally like the album, but like exciting and live. And I kind of just, as you do, you kind of look over their shoulders to see what magic they're doing. And basically <laughs> all the faders were at zero. Um, and it was just the tiniest amount of EQ and low and high pass filters, and I was like, bro, that's really annoying because I know that's it's not you know, it's not magic, yeah, it's just, it's just a just great band, <laughs> yeah. It's just when you've got a really good
0: band, yeah. So, well, there was uh, Hannah, what's that band that we were the state champs, the multi tracks, okay? So Kyle Black does these these studio mixes for these these you know kind of like uh, what are they called like it's like power rock power pop rock mm-hmm. pop
3: punk is really the-
0: yeah yeah and it's these mixes are crazy they're just you know the, the biggest fast drums just everything's like right here and it's amazing and I ended up with a set of multi tracks for one of their tunes that Kyle had mixed and we were like all right where's the secret sauce man like let's see what he's doing. And he wasn't doing much. These tracks were just super clean, super well recorded, great performances. Yeah. Um and he absolutely made it better. But there was no like secret thing that, you know, where the, he just hit a button and we're like, wow, that was amazing. I yeah, learned a bit yeah. like I didn't learn any big trick. I just learned the importance of he he was able to get amazing results because these are incredible sources. And um with with monitors uh, you know, it's really funny that to watch when the band went to inears, what happened is one by one they went to cab sims or amp isolation or something like that because all of a sudden they're actually hearing their real tone, you know, not not what's bouncing off the back of your legs hmm. coming out of a, a you know, and 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 uh, they got very zeroed in on their tone and changing their pedal boards around and really thinking about the sound they were making and. I'm certain that it was the move to in-ears that started that because for the first time they were actually really clearly hearing their sound and weren't happy. Um, so I think talking about, you know, we talk about it all the time with front of house, right? Like how important it is to get it right at the source. But I think it's extremely true for monitors as well. Like, you know, if you have a crappy tone coming into your ears, like, you know, it's, (laughs) I can EQ your crappy tone a little bit, but like that's, um, You know, I worked really hard with, with our lead guitar player and every time he would make a change, I would take an EQ filter out or whatever. And we ended up, I mean, I think there's a high pass on his channel now, you know, and the fader goes up and he's like, yep, that's cool. We worked really hard to get there and it wasn't what I was doing at the console. It was what he was doing with his amp and with his instrument and his pedals and stuff like that. So I think that definitely deserves a mention.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember going to see um, Bruce Springsteen about 12 years ago and he's still, most of them are on wedges, I think still. Uh, but I looked at all their guitar cabs and all of their car t- guitar cabs were basically on like on their backs so that the drivers were pointing at their heads. So they knew what their guitar cab sounded like because they were pointing at their ears. And for some stupid reason, that was revolutionary to me because you see all these bands <laughs> with guitar cabs slamming up against the back of their calves and then wonder why it sounds different when you put a microphone in front of it. It's like it, it's, you know, hindsight hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, Isn't it
1: just?
0: (laughs) Well, Mike Sokol, who writes a lot of articles for Live Sound International and Pro Sound Web, um, he has this little thing that he's cooked up where basically it's a guitar cab in the form of a monitor wedge. Yeah. And it goes in front of you, not behind you, and it points right at your face. And he goes, you'd be amazed how much happier these people are and how much lower their stage volume is when I do that. Cause they can actually hear their instrument. And I was like, that's genius. <laughs> like I'm ashamed that I haven't thought of it, but it's genius, yeah. you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like, yeah, I can imagine that works incredibly well. Um, rather than having a load of four by 12s battering yeah. you. Yeah. Uh,
0: all right. So before we get to our typical important end of episode questions, I want to hear from Hannah and David one more time. Other comments, questions, thoughts for Alex is your workflow super revolutionized. Now or are you jazzed up to go back out and take the world by them, by the monitor console or, or what? I've got one. Um, okay. For people without
4: a pretty serious music background without, you know, playing pop music instruments on stage themselves, Um, this is important to me because my primary instrument is actually flute. I'm all classical music trained and not very much, you know, a performer myself. Um, how do you bridge that gap, you know, and meet the musician's needs and understand how you can help them without ever really spending time in their shoes?
2: Uh, I'm quite similar in the sense that I was a classically trained trumpet player, um, I played in orchestras and jazz bands and stuff. Um, and I think it's just, I listen to music a lot. Like I always have done like and everything from like EDM to jazz to classical, you know? Um, and I guess I've always gone with the, the idea is like, if that's what the album sounded like, it's probably what they want to listen to, you know, you know, with obviously exceptions, but you know, they made that thing. Why would they not want it to listen like that when they played it live? Um, so just kind of really paying attention to what artists make what their songs sound like um, after they've recorded them and mixed them and spent all that effort to get them right in a studio. Um, and then and then it's just, you know, time of listening to band, drummers and bass players and pianists and et cetera, what they generally want as a collective. Um, I was thinking about string sections the other day. It's like I've not mixed a lot of string sections, not recent. I've mixed orchestras in the past, but not not monitors for orchestras. And it's like, how do you approach that? Um, because the session, like session players are different to uh, like a collective that play all the time together. Um, don't think that's particularly helpful to answering your question, but um, <laughs> yeah, I've I go by the listening to music and trying to replicate that.
4: Right on. Thank you.
0: Yeah, that works. I remember, uh, I think I've told this story a while ago, but there was a, a pop singer that was coming into my venue and I hadn't heard of her. And I was young enough and stupid enough t- not to listen to her music before the show. Um, and I went in and I did the show and her manager came up and gave me one very small tweak to the mix. And he said, yeah, you know, that sounds really great. And I'm sitting there at the console like, this is horrible. Like, it's, this mix sounds awful to me i'm so not happy with it and when i want to think about gigs that i that i'm not happy with that one sticks out of my mind and i went home and i listened to her single i was like oh that's that is not at all the texture or you know the way the production method or just the overall style that i would have thought of by hearing what she was doing on stage but what came out of the pa was exactly what the record sounded like and so it was actually you know her manager knew exactly what she wanted to sound like and we were pretty darn close and so for me, that was just a question of I didn't have the context to understand what the goal of the of the the music was. Mm. And had I done that, I wouldn't have been sitting there the whole time. Like, I don't like the way this is coming together because it was exactly how it was supposed to go together. Um, so for me, just I, I mean, I'll definitely echo that, you know, five minutes on YouTube and just spend a just look at the, you know, a couple of songs by the artist just so I understand kind of what they're. For lack of a better word, what their texture is, what what, what this artist sounds like, um, then I have some context for how to treat that. You know, my thing was like, I thought the, the tracks were, uh, uh, you know, I was like, those tracks seem really hot to me, but that was her. That was how her, her music sounded. So, so to me, it was this this feeling that I was screwing stuff up. In reality, I just didn't have the context for what the music was supposed to sound like. So that's I'll, I'll echo that completely. All right, Hannah, you're up.
3: I don't think I have one. <laughs> Um, really not specifically no um i think i would I, I like david's question a lot because i'm i don't play an instrument i've never played an instrument um,
0: I, I have a question f- i have a, I have a question on your behalf then okay <laughs> because you you do you have to do battle in these tiny super reflective rooms yes. with super loud wedges that's difficult um and it's been eight years, I guess, so <laughs> maybe Alex. I mean, that's that's a rough situation for everybody. Um, I mean, any any tips or wisdom in that situation, Alex?
2: Less is more. Yeah. You know, um, like uh, me and Hannah were talking about this on your email. Um, it's like wedge placement and microphone uh, pickup pattern like super super important if your wedges aren't put in the right place so that the horns are pointing at somebody's ears you might as well go home because you'll never get the volume out of it in the same way if you've got a wedge horn pointing at the back of a hypercardioid mic it's just going to feed back because you're sticking noise into a microphone in the wrong place like you it's if you want it to sound really good well as best as it can as well you've got to understand that a cheap pair of wedges and a average microphone is only going to get so loud and so good um but yeah you placement is super important and also not pointing the wedge at a black you know if you've got a wall behind you move it as in not the wall the wedge so (laughs) (laughs) yeah just take a hammer to it um you know don't point don't point the horn of the wedge at a flat wall because you're just causing reflections and it's not
4: if i we, we need to move the wall.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <I> do. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about there's a venue I used to be the house guy in that had, that had a really – it was in a basement and the stage had a really low ceiling above it and a video wall that basically on the ceiling that kind of wrapped around to the back to the floor and mixing both the wedges in there was horrific because you just had this really shiny reflective surface at all angles pointing straight back centering at oh, like the no.
0: levoval <laughs> like
2: it gave me nightmares honestly
0: oh, and it was a really well kitted
2: out room as well you know it had all the gear it was absolutely fine but like that one bit about it made it an absolute nightmare
0: I think of those, those, the, one of the cities around here owns one of those band shells, just it's like a clamshell truck that opens up sideways. And I'm like, yeah, they're like, should we rent this stage for the show? I'm like, no, please don't do it. Um, all right. So the 2021 question, Alex, if you could define your legacy, what you would be known for in the industry, the, the mark you leave behind, what would you want that to be?
2: So as I said, I'd listen to a view, all of your episodes in my, my current job. Um, I just want to be remembered of being a nice person because you go back to these places all the time and the more successful you are, you'll just repeat going back. And I don't want to be that person that, you know, like when somebody sees my name on a call sheet, it's going great. like (laughs) Yeah. Because, and you just don't want to be that person and you can, you can get over all those hurdles of, gear being crap or you know artists in a mood or all of those things if you're around to good people um and yeah just want to be remembered for being reliable and decent human being
0: that's i dig it um and so equally as important we're all coming over across the pond to come visit <laughs> you and freya and yeah. we, we're gonna go out for some food where do you take us what's your favorite
2: um I'm gonna I'm gonna can I answer this slightly differently in the sense of just yeah, can I just absolutely. give you some places that I really like around the world? because yeah, yeah. I thought about this more than I probably should have done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it because the, the one thing
2: that touring is amazing for is finding good places to eat in places that you've never been before. So there's a Taiwanese restaurant called um, Din Tai Fung, which is like a chain. And They kind of started in uh, Taipei but now there's like one in Seattle and there's one in LA. There's a few places. Amazing food. There's a little bar, rock bar in Sydney called Frankie's Pizza which is amazing. Um, just like cheap beer and cheap pizzas, Basically all you need. Um, and uh, Central Barbecue in Memphis. An amazing barbecue joint.
0: I feel like Kyle, were Kyle here he would definitely have uh, some some probably very supportive words about that, yeah. that it. He, he's, he's a barbecue connoisseur so well that's awesome Alex thank you so much for, for being with us man it was really cool to chat with you and, and uh, thanks to Hannah and David and, and Freya and the whole gang here had a great time thanks, yeah. for, having thanks for having me
3: thanks yeah.